They say that first impressions count, but what if people's impression of you is never who you actually are? I'm Gem Turner. I'm a three foot one, wheelchair using, disabled Yorkshire lass who's fascinated by people and human connection. This podcast will delve into the weird and wonderful interactions we all have every day, because I know we've all got those stories. I'll be interviewing some of my favourite people to find out their own unique experiences too, so hopefully we can all learn something together. So sit back, relax, if you can, and enjoy! You sound good, quality-wise. Oh, do I? Okay, yeah. good. Okay. Look at that smile. <laughs> you sound good, quality-wise. I'm right. I've got a face for radio. <laughs> I'm like, oh, excellent. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are now listening to the smooth jams of Thierry and Jim. Also, have you just got up? Uh, no, I got up about an hour ago. But, well, yeah, so I just got up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, because I was going to go... I had a day filled today of like um, walks and stuff like that, the typical stuff, just get outside. Oh, yeah. But um, it's literally not stopped raining since about 7am, so I've just been laid in bed, just listening to the rain, like, oh, my God. Oh, it's horrible, um, isn't it? Yeah, it's just... The thing is, I think the summer lockdown was a little bit easier as well because obviously it was, it was like, scorching. I mean, you just go to the garden, you were just chilling. There's not, there's not really that much of an issue with going outside, whereas now the most depressive month of the year, plus you're not allowed to actually see other people. It's like compounded. So like, I think I might just have to just, you know what, get me waterproofs on and crack on. Yeah, I I think you should. So to start, Thierry, can you just introduce yourself, uh, visually describe yourself for the listeners so we can set the scene? Um, And yeah, tell us a little bit about your beginning of life. Yeah, so my name is Thierry Ngutagure. Um, I am a five foot seven, <laughs> stunning black man. Um, um, so yeah, no, I was born in Rwanda, just for context of my background. Um, I moved over here when I was about four or five, um, bounced around a few a few places. So I've lived everywhere from, you know, London to Nottingham to Stockton on Tees to Bradford to Leeds. Um, so I've had a full uh, spectrum of the British upbringing, as it were. Um, and so, yeah, at the moment, um, I am based in Bradford slash Leeds. Um, I'm a data and insights manager over at Rise at Seven, uh, which is a creative SEO agency. Um, and yeah, I'm just a happy-go-lucky young man, really. So I've been I've been looking at this thing called like um, I think basically within the industry, I think the one thing that's going to change for a lot of us going forward is, you know, yourself. You're pretty much an influencer within your own right and within your own within your own field. But I think. Um, what's going to start happening is employee influences are going to start becoming a real prominent figure in stuff, right? So um, I think that people, this is an opportunity, especially like during this lockdown for people to, uh, you know, I say upskill themselves. I don't mean like read 40 books and do all that kind of stuff, but to sit down and figure out what your voice is going to be and what you're going to say and stuff. And then you will become bigger than the job that you do. So what I mean by that is, when people are hiring they'll no longer have to go to like recruitment whatever they'll know who they want because there are people out there who whose voices and attitudes and what they do in life is far larger than their actual job and I'd like to think that that is something that I'm building where you know people know me prior to actually knowing my job title 
um, and they just kind of go, oh, I don't really know what you do, but I, I want you to work for me or I want to work with you. And I think that's something that me and you have within our friendship groups where, you know, we're larger than life characters and people um, want us before they know what we can actually probably do, which is a great opportunity to have, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it's like, it's almost the brand thing, isn't it? Yeah, but, it really is. But when you say the word brand, people think you're like, I don't know, not not myself, but like, you like narcissistic. Yeah. yeah, but it's true. Like, my brand is that I just say whatever I'm feeling online yeah. and... Mm-hmm. I say everything I would to my mum, my granddad, me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's what I do. Yeah. I'm like, you do the same. You just are you. And I think people Live. need that because they believe yeah, they it. Do. I think in a world where we're constantly being sold perfection and perfection is something that we can't achieve, I think, especially from your perspective, your your work is really quite honest and it's um, approachable. And, you know, I can see it. I can I can see it in my daily existence. And so when you when you put together videos of or pieces of like, you know, things that you shouldn't say mm. and and, pe- and everybody has said one of those things, you know, one of those 10 things you kind of go, oh, God, that was me is relatable. And you can kind of put yourself in that position. And you go, oh, you know what? OK, every day is a school day. I've learned something new and it's never, you know, you never position it in a position of saying, stop being a see you next Tuesday. It's more about look. Let, let, let's just be a bit more thoughtful really yeah. um and i think people appreciate that kind of honesty and actual day-to-day life that they can see themselves in that's the whole thing with this podcast it's not it's like when do you ever talk about this stuff like when you're at yeah. work it happens you think oh god and yeah. then you just gotta get on with it and it's like we all have to try and learn without well you can't you do cringe let's be honest yeah. like, we've all been there we've said some and then you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Well, it's all right, though. It's all right to say it. Like, I think the worst thing, actually, is, you know, doing the thing or saying the thing, whether it's like a microaggression or something a little bit stupid. And you go, me? No, I never do that. No. Whereas the best people are, yeah, they say it or do it or fall into that trap and they go, oh, sorry. And it's accountability. And they go, that's my bad. It won't happen again. Yeah. Um, there's absolutely nothing with being wrong. It's, the wrong is when you start defending the wrong, then you're buggered. Isn't it? But so many times when that's happened to me, like, I'm trying to think, uh, oh, you know, everybody thinks I'm on that advert, that Marteser advert. Oh, my God, yeah, I remember that. I was in a taxi, and the taxi guy was like, you're on TV, and I was like, no, I'm not. But <laughs> then he were like, I've got eyes, I see, I can hear, and I were like, so am I. <laughs> I've got a brain. I know, but it won't be. Like, I mean, it was, it so... would have been me, so it's not. Literally. I'm like, yeah. So, and I suppose it's like the funny side of it. And then when you continually get it, yeah, it's just like, just stop. It, it is. I think it's an interesting thing as well, because I always think that adversity, I think sometimes breeds some of the best people because... For example, your situation where you've had, you know, a lot of people say things where you think, look, you're just being quite ignorant and you're being a little bit short-sighted. Um, I, I think it builds a certain toughness of skin because it gives you two opportunities, really, because you go, do you know what? Am I going to boot? Am I going to boot off every sec- every time someone says it? Because if that's the case, I'm not going to have any energy for life. 
Mm. Or do I develop a personality where it's almost like a duck off a wall, like water off a duck's back, but I still correct that individual. Um, and I think that's that adversity makes you a better person, weirdly, um, because now you know how to maneuver yourself in different crowds and, you know, and maybe pass some things off as banter and call some things out and, you know, put it in an approachable way and things like that. But yeah, I do think adversity does breed the best people. Um, I think anyone who has it easy in life is, if you know anyone who's got it easy in life, they're probably the most boring people, you know. <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? And yeah. I feel like I'm going straight into it now, but let's just do it. Do you find that you've done that or have you grown that? Because I feel like you, as a friend, you've kind of stepped it up in the last few years, talking about your experiences. Would you say that's right? Yeah, because I think, um, so I mean, for context, you know, I was born in Rwanda and moved over when I was about five. And since then, I've, I think I've gone to about nine schools or something silly. Um, and so what that did, though, was create a coping mechanism strategy. So every time I landed in a school, it was about assimilating. So, you know, don't stand out too much, chameleon your way through life. And so that mentality meant that I was never really, God's honest truth, like myself, I was very much just a reflection upon the people I was hanging around with. And then you then you get to a point, and, and to be honest, I, I remember I used to also say, like, if people didn't like me, it would really hurt my feelings. Yeah. And that kind of life, living that kind of life is exhausting. And I think it came to a point where, you know, if I wasn't out on a Friday, my phone is ringing, people are like, why are you not out? Hey, Terry, can you get me in? Can, can we come get drinks? And I realized, actually, I built this thing where uh, people only wanted what I could provide as opposed to me. So then I kind of just cut it off and I start this thing every year. Every year in January, I'll just unfollow a certain amount of people on Instagram who I don't believe are contributing positively to my life or my mental health and well-being. So I started just culling those, those things out. And so once I started doing that, it meant that I could just be myself and I wasn't impressing anybody. And honestly, once you stop caring, and it's not stop caring in the sense of, you know, I don't care for other people, I'm the most caring person, but you stop caring what people think of you and you start putting stuff out there that is just, you know, of your personality or whatever, then you actually become your stronger self and you attract a lot more individuals who do care about you for you know the substance of your character as opposed to the drinks in in, in Rose of Cuba or whatever and um and I think it's the same with yourself though in the last couple of years you've pretty you've you put your foot on the pedal and I mean look at you now look at me now yeah. I don't know <laughs> I don't know what oh, I'm looking at <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a businesswoman Gem what are you on about oh my god stop it you've got a brand and everything do you know what I mean yeah. so like but you haven't changed anything. If anything, no. you've just been even more comfortable with who you are. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, I think if anything, our generation can be patted on the back for is allowing everyone to be themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a bit of toxic culture every now and again, cancel culture and all kinds of stuff like that. But um, the side of kind of empowerment and being who you want to be is the cool thing now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, it's healthy because... That, this is the reason why I wanted to get you on, because for context for, you know, the listeners, um, we have very different experiences, but I think, for me, we're very similar in that we give almost too much of ourselves yeah. to make people feel comfortable, 
to make people love us. Mm. Not, well, yeah, maybe love us. Like, we, yeah. we love that energy and vibes. Yeah. But I started this podcast and I just thought, like, why should we have to yeah. change ourselves? I'm not even change ourselves. Just give, like, 200%. And then, I mean, do you ever go home and just think, nothing now? Because I do. When I've had a, when when I've had a night out or I do something and I've just given everything, I just think, oh my god. And I think one day I just thought, if people are really my friends, they don't want two hundred percent. Yeah. They just want me. Yeah. I'm like, you know. I think it's the burden we carry. By, I think the reason we give so much. And, you know, we, we yeah, love people and we give all that is because we also know what the other side of the coin feels like. We also know what it's like to not get attention and to not be loved and not to be considered and, you know, to not have attention uh, given to you. And because we know what that feels like, it means that I, I was listening to a podcast by Stephen Bartlett and he talks about, you know, the things that we seek validation for when we're younger is is the th- no the thing that we chase when we're younger is the thing that we seek validation for as we get older so you know at the in our younger years you know we are we might be chasing friends and love and things like that because it's something that we didn't actually have and then we seek validation from it as we get older in the sense of like oh people love me please because i have given you it and that kind of stuff and you know it's what we're actually chasing but as i say it's just because we we didn't have it and so therefore we tried to give it and tried to collect it and tried to give it out because we know what it feels like. But, you know, those times where we'd come from fruity on a Friday and you'd be hung over the next day, but it's compounded by a level of anxiety almost because it's an emotional come down yeah. because, you know, you're at a high where you were surrounded by people, the music's blaring and everything else. And, you know, everybody wanted our attention. And, you know, we were, we're very much the party stars. We're the center of quite a lot of, god's honest truth like people's happiness we are we really are because we give it out so much but then that giving out means that that next day you know when you're hung over you feel even worse because you're just like emotionally i've, I've been giving all night and then uh, you know physically uh, going out etc and those times where you know i'd go out like four times a week and i genuinely sit down on a saturday and sunday and i'm just like i don't even speak i don't say a single word i don't have the energy to do so yeah um and yeah it's tiring it's really tiring it is in like for me when that happened i'd come home and the people that i were closest to i was i wasn't really me because i was knackered exhausted i'd be like i'm just gonna go and get a bath and not speak to you and that's when i realized that i were giving the people that i were closest to the worst side of me but then when i were out i looked like this yeah you know magical unicorn that never was sad and yeah. you know it's yeah it's do you think do you think it was almost an addictive thing the fact that you did it four times a week i mean i don't know how you did that yeah it's i mean you got your little you got your little boost didn't you your little hormone boost of like a little it's a high it's you are almost like an addict to your emotions at that point um and a level of it is acceptance, like, you know, I think our, our upbringings were a little bit more adverse um, and a little might have been a bit harder. You know, I don't know anyone else's story, but I think on the offset from when you look at us, you kind of go, okay, cool. You guys had a bit of a different upbringing, even the way I sound kind of thing and where I'm from. And so we, it was just, a, it just felt a little bit harder to grow up. And so then 
we just gave more. We really did, did just give more. And, you know, and I think each time you lose a bit of your soul when you give something, I think. Um, and we don't, you don't realise. And you don't realise until, you, you know, you start getting a bit older and you start to cut back on stuff. Like, as you say, like, you start giving the negativity to the people who truly care because those are the people who are there when there's no lights and there's no drinks. You know what I mean? Um, and so then I had this conversation with Kate as well, where she was like, look, you're constantly in your phone messaging people, you know, you're constantly out. But then when you're with me, you literally just fall asleep because you're shattered yeah. or like you're a bit grumpy because you, you've literally got no, no energy left in you. Yeah. And so then, you know, it took a lot of work between me and her to kind of go, right. It, honestly, it's like an addiction. Like I had to leave my phone in another room and stuff like that or leave it off. And even when I did, I'd get like literally itchy feet. Or like it would be in my pocket and you get that phantom vibrate on your, and, your, and your leg, you're like, did it vibrate? And I'm like, um, I'm just going to go to the toilet to check my phone, literally to see if anyone's messaged me because it's a Friday and I know people were messaging. Like it was ridiculous. And then flip reverse to where we are now, where, you know, we've gone through that together and my, my phone and things like that and how I see social media is, a, is more so of a tool now as opposed to an IV drip that I plug in to kind of get my hit um yeah. so yeah it's very much more of a tool now and it's very much more of a um, you know you have to understand that virtual life isn't real life it really really isn't um and the people that you do put that energy into into seeing so you know gem you call me and ask me for anything and i'll be like no matter what what time of the day it is i'm like cool let's roll let's do it because i know you do the exact same for me yeah um and so then that's how i start measuring things nowadays and if i don't believe that, that you know the other person's going to give me the same percentage then you know it's not their fault but I, I just I won't I'll react to my own time when I have when I'm free and I have the capacity to do so as opposed to spreading myself too thin yeah boundaries is so important like and it's hard isn't it because like you say that rejection but with fear it's almost like when you set the boundary you think oh my god that means that they'll never like me again and yeah. you know I'm going to come across as the stereotypical person that I don't want to be but like it's it's healthy to just be like I really appreciate that but right now I need to be me for a little bit like it's so easy when you think about it but it's yeah. so scary yeah it, <laughs> yeah it is I don't God's honest truth I don't even like I don't even know why we didn't do it um at the time when you look back you think why did you let yourself get so low and you know use so much up when you could have just said that it's it it does sound really really easy but i think it's it compounds itself like a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense of you do it once you feel a little serotonin hit you do it twice and you think hmm you know what people are reacting to to this let me keep doing it and then it just it escalates do you know what i mean it escalates and it just get it just gets out of hand and yeah it wasn't a healthy it was not a healthy lifestyle i was living whatsoever you know like going out wasn't even like it was like you know I was out four times a week at work those times where you know I'm on snapchat posting it and I'm out till like 4am and I'm I'm in work at eight but the thing is you know I didn't let my job slip I would still be you know the guy and I'd still be doing what I do and then I get home and I'm just literally like one eye twitching (laughs) (laughs) and that's Um, literally our friendship is me being like Tiara, you need to sleep more. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) You're like, mate, I only need four hours. I'm like, how? How do you do it? Well, I only needed four hours because that's how far I'd push my body. That's how far, that's how extreme I was living. Like, 
um, it's not that I only needed four hours. It's my body was like, this is all we're getting. So we have to maximize what we can get. You will have four hours and that yeah. is it. Honestly, the way I, I like fall asleep, like I'm charging. I'm just God, it stresses me out. Um, yeah. Post lockdown, what mechanisms are you going to, like what is the dream in terms of going out? Because obviously you still want to socialise, you want to go out, but what would be the dream in terms of what you're going to knock off when you post lockdown going out? Yeah, so... um. I think what I'm going to do is, uh, like me and Kate have just uh, put down for a, for a property, which is quite nice. Um, nice. So, yeah, uh, a little bit of the first ladder of our kind of investment portfolio type stuff, which is quite cool. So we've got a cool project that we're kind of building, which is dead nice. So what I intend to doing, you know, is having, I think as you grow up, you want to be, you, like, you don't want to be around crowded places as much. Like, um, you value having the ability to hear what the other person is saying as opposed to like You're screaming in people's ears on a night out. And so post lockdown, I think, you know, uh, COVID permitting, I'd love to have a lot more people around my place or being around their, their home. And we actually have more kind of drinks at someone's house. And that, that for me shows a lot more energy being reciprocated within a relationship if somebody has the ability to come to my house and I can come to yours it's a lot it's a larger sign of respect I think yeah. and don't get me wrong like I'll cut away for a little cheeky bottomless brunch um <laughs> every now and again um but I don't think I will be chasing the the crowds anymore and I, I, I it's just not for me anymore um I used to think it was cool to have you know to know everybody and have and and be in amongst as many people as humanly possible but there's a, there's a psychological theory that says you can only sustain 150 meaningful relationship at any given time in your life, right? Really? Not, that's not like a lot, but you have to consider, you know, uh, any partners, your family members, any kind, any person that you physically sustain a relationship with, 150 is your maximum that your kind of life and brain and everything can take. And it's, it, it's reflected in businesses as well. Once businesses get past 150, people stop knowing who is actually in the business, things like that. It's it's a real kind of psychological principle. And so I need, I personally had well in excess of that. It was ridiculous. It's stupid. So then it's bringing that down now. Like, honestly, 20, I'm chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take me 20 banks. Same, yeah. like that overwhelms me. And I think looking back at our nights out, just to set the scene for everyone, when we went out, you would always be in the middle and literally crowds would congregate around you and like you are almost celebrity <laughs> like you have got that presence about you so no wonder like you almost craved it because people just love you but but i think they loved the extreme version of me this is the yeah. thing so i'm very much a showman in the sense of you know put me on a stage God's honest truth, like, put me on stage, no script, and give me a mic, and I'll come up with something. Yeah. Um, I'm very much that kind of person. So every night out was a show. It was, you know, I was on the Beyonce tour <laughs> every night out. <laughs> I mean, um, and so it wasn't a false version of me, but it was a hyper-realistic one in the sense of it was the addict Thierry who's, you know, keen to be centre of attention and this, and is a bit is extremely narcissistic and craved people's validation as opposed to his own quality of his character 
you know, I was very poor with money. I spent, like I'd get into debt for, to go on a night out, no problem. I didn't care as long as I got that hit. Um, and so it was a bit, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And so, you know, as I say, like me and Kate have kind of been working on this and we've re-engineered because I still have this energy and I still have this go-getting mentality, do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's now pointing that in a more productive manner. And so we've pointed it into a couple of projects that we're working on together. So this kind of property side of stuff, as well as my own, uh, my own new job at Rise at Seven um, and funneling that then into my career and putting that energy on it. If, it, if you want a stage, put it on a stage that's going to be productive and help you to learn and help others to learn yeah. as opposed to kind of just downing tequilas every every, every second god i'm knackered just thinking about it <laughs> I, we were prolific man like there wasn't a day anyone could call me that i wasn't out yeah. um even if i was out there's been times where i've been in bed and i hear the buzzer go on my flat and people have like got a taxi on the way to leeds and have passed by my flat and buzzed it and i'll get up and get dressed and go um there's times where like i've been in and i don't like my own my own company so i literally sit there and drink and will wait for my phone to buzz first person to buzz boom right we're off on that out we've got something and oh, it, yeah. yeah it was it was insane it was absolutely yeah. insane. But to the outside world you know tear is the guy yeah and that i think that's what's scary like yeah. that's that turns it into something else and mm. the self-awareness that we've got that we we've realized that this is not sustainable I'm so glad that we're on that journey because it's self-destruct mode, isn't it? Yeah, I do, I do think 2020 probably saved my life, in God's honest opinion. Um, I just think that in a sense of 2020 said, sit down. Yeah. 2020 went, just stop. Yeah. Because there was a time last year when I, when I started, like when I just started at Rise of Seven, um, you know, I live in Bradford and I would be up at 5 a.m., on the train for 6 a.m., in work for 8, work till 5.30, come back, might even go for drinks afterwards, yeah, and so then might not get home till about 11, do work, repeat, oh. right? So that was just insane. Now, don't get me wrong, that, the work element, I, I didn't mind because I was building, I believe I was building something. Yeah. So then I didn't mind that, but it's, it's the fact that I still needed to add on going for drinks and going and seeking that validation from people that, was ridiculous it's not just not sustainable whatsoever um and yeah 2020 just basically said sit down for a hot second right just sit and anybody that you want to contact or you want to speak to or reaches out to you now realistically when 2020 finishes those are the people you need to leave 2020 with yeah you know what i mean because when all the clubs and everything is all said and done and everything is closed just look at pay attention to who is messaging you yeah. and you know who is checking up on you and it's taught me a lot in terms of the people that I've actually, you know, made conversations with. And don't get me wrong, there's probably someone on the other side who's saying, Thierry hasn't contacted me. That's absolutely fine. It just means that our relationship wasn't at that level. And that's cool. We had a good time. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah. there's no Ill, Ill thought in that way. It's just that now we need to condense our lives and focus a little bit on ourselves. Be selfish. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to tackle... Because I feel like you do so much. Like, you've always... Like, I remember when I met you, you were doing a degree. You were planning a master's, maybe. Yeah. You were working. You were doing ridiculous amounts. Do you think that's because you felt like you had to for your career? So I, I get this question quite a lot when I'm doing stuff with um, younger people. 
um, in the sense of, you know, do I, do I need to go to university and things like that? Now, everyone had their own experience, but for me, I would have paid double the amount of money and gone for double the amount of time for the experience and not the academic rigor, right? Yeah. Reason being, I mean, it's very much from a privileged position because obviously not a lot of people get to go to university and I'm here going, oh, I want to university for the academic rigor. Um, <laughs> but I just feel like my growth and my learning curve was far larger in the experience than the academic side of stuff. Um, and as a young black man at the time, I'm fighting against a perceived stereotype or that society has upon me, right? And that stereotype then uh, manifests itself in two CVs hit a desk. Uh, you know, the candidates are very much the same. And um, in some portions of society, the non-Black candidate would get the, you know, the job or get that opportunity over myself. So. The reason I did a degree and a master's and things like that was to shake in my head, to shake any doubt that when my CV hits the table, you know, I am overqualified for a position, um, which is, a, which is a, a really negative space to, to be thinking about that in terms of your education. But it's the reality of the life that I've grown up in as a, you know, as a young black man. And so I have to almost be overqualified, in my opinion, to, to be looked at now. What I didn't see coming is, which we were talking about earlier, is, you know, your personality over your CV nowadays, where the rise of employee influencers and those who have built a brand and have something to say of substance that supersedes your experience and what you've gone to university for. Um, I didn't see that coming, but I don't regret my degrees. You know, um, I did my um, BSc in biological sciences. And then when I did a master's in marketing um, and weirdly people are always like, it's almost a talking point. They're like, what the heck? Those are two different things. And I'm like, they're not really. I just, you know, got a mathematical back behind me and marketing gave me up, gave that mathematical back a personality. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of works hand in hand. And do you feel like, like, how did you get to that point where you thought, right, I need to work a bit harder? What, where did, because I did as well in another sense yeah. for me i think it was like family that kind of encouraged me but yeah, yeah what what in terms yeah, of i mean you? yeah i mean I've, i come from a very academic background like both my parents are very well um established within academia or whether it's you know degrees phds whatever my family has it in abundance so that pressure was always there um and i was always going to do something within that realm um but yeah, I think that pressure was always there because even my mum was always like, you know, as long as you get your first degree, then I'll leave you alone and I'll stop, <laughs> I'll stop pestering you. Uh, literally, and I'm like, oh God, just do anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the work harder mentality, God's honest truth, didn't kick in till you graduate, right? Everyone at university, you know, you're 18 years old up until 21. We are all, we put ourselves on a level playing field, right? We go, we're in this together we are i'm broke you're broke you know i'm learning you're learning cool and everyone's like hunky dory and you don't really understand it until you graduate and people leave right because what that does is we went to quite a middle class university when you think about it you know there's a lot of well-to-do individuals at leeds uni it breeds that kind of uh that it attracts that kind of people right yeah. and so all those people who you saw who are like, oh yeah, I'm broke, you're broke, are now going and getting grad jobs at JP Morgan and GlaxoSmithKline and all that kind of stuff. And it's not to say, you know, 
that a portion of them, yeah, were given opportunities that maybe we will never see. But also, we we didn't get the level of advice that they maybe got, whether it's from their parents or from uh, other people around them who have been there and done that. Um, for me, for example, you know, it was the first time my parents had even been in a country where their child has graduated. Do you know what I mean, we've not, they're not even in this side of the world. So they didn't know what the, what the thing was at the time. And so things like graduate jobs and that when we were doing exams, people were like, yeah, yeah, what are you doing after exams? Like, yeah, I got a grad job. I think I'm like, what? Wait, huh? <laughs> <I'm a> <laughs> What's that? One of them, you know, yeah, I did a year in industry during my, you know, like second and third year. So, you know, I've got a job lined up and I'm like, wait, why did nobody tell me this? <laughs> and so then you start to realize that all that, yeah, we're in this together. It's until you graduate and then they kind of rip off their um, baggy jeans and ripped jeans and it's a full on suit there and they're a working individual and they're going out into the world. And, you, and I went, oh my God, I have nothing. Now you've said that, that's so true. Yeah. Because people Isn't just disappeared and bought houses and went to London. I was like, whoa, where did this money come from? I thought we were broke. Wait, I, you I, lived in Hyde Park. What? what? Yeah. I was like, I actually am broke. And I'm like, you were pretending? Yeah. Um, it's, 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 the, it's a switching gear of life. Like, it happens a couple of times in our lives. Like, it happened at 21 when people left. It happens at 25 when you realise, you know, people start getting married now. And you're like, whoa. And then it'll happen again at, like, this age now. We're like 20, 28, 29, 30 where another gear gets switched where, you know, maybe people start buying a house or a second house or having kids and things like that. And you go, you know, and things start to happen. But yeah, that, that was the first gear change. I thought, whoa, I'm getting left behind. But even that left behind mentality, left behind in what? Mm, and what does that even mean? Like, Yeah, because technically, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm a well-achieved individual. So then why do I not feel left behind now when they had gone ahead of me? So, I mean, yeah. if anything, I'm just more content where i am as yeah. opposed to their idea of success and like what they're achieving that feeling could be the same as our energy situation where you know they might they might have this amazing grad job but yeah. are they enjoying it is it good are they being treated right like we just see the grass being greener and we're like oh so i need to get there as well yeah i think we're all we're all um bad at it in the sense of you know we Instagram's a highlight reel, but it's it's where we also go to catch up and see what someone's done with their life. Do you know what I mean? Or where they're up to. So then if you only ever show me, like, you'll never see anything bad on my Instagram. You know, even even the the photos are, you know, immaculate. I only put the best of the best of the creme de la creme type stuff. And it's like, (laughs) and the irony is, I'm like, half of those photos I posted after a night, I'm literally just sat like depressed on the sofa. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody doesn't know Thierry, He's actually got a Google Drive of his best pictures. <laughs> I have to pay for more storage the other day. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> I remember when, and this is us two, this is why we're so similar. We mm. met at a, at a bar. I had my Canon, my OnePlus, yeah. my, like literally so much technology, chargers, and then you were talking about how you were just uploading to your, your self-portrait Google Drive. And I was just like, God, we are too similar. This is, this is I love it. I'm never going to stop that Google Drive, you know, because it's a time capsule of my life. It's brilliant. So, like, for context for people listening, it's I started a Google Drive where any image that's ever been taken of me, I put, I put it into a Google Drive. Now, it's not 
so much like images of me with people per se it'll just be like image of me just just me right and every I'm, now and I'm again, not like... laughing because it's perfectly fine it's just <laughs> funny and like it, it sometimes people might be in it might be in the background but it's just images of me in it. <laughs> but it, it goes back so far it goes back to since i was about like 18 right and so then i create this weird time capsule where you can literally see me grow up through the google drive right and i still do it till this day like every single day if, when we're in the office i have like i, I always pick a singular spot and i'll go and take a picture so it'd be like what i'm wearing that day or whatever and so then i've been able to build up not only like a bank of fashion as well but like just the images of myself and I love it because when I was growing up, um, my family took loads of pictures of us. Like we've got albums upon albums of it. But after me, my sister, my mom, my dad, we don't have any images of like family because obviously we, we moved to a different country and things were lost during that kind of transition. And so we don't have anything like that. So I was like, right, I take loads of pictures of us, like me and my mom and dad constantly and I keep all of them. And so that one day my my grand my grandkids are gonna be like, I wonder what granddad looks like. Well, we have about 10 gigabytes of photos <laughs> of just you. Of just your granddad. Uh, <laughs> no one else, just your granddad, but this is what he was like every single day of his life <laughs> leading up to this point. I just love it. And whenever anyone asks for a headshot, I'm like, send them a link and they're like, your pick. <laughs> what side do you want? What angle? And I'm what like, lighting? Okay, what, what are we going for here? You want Smoky smouldering. Do you want a snow pick? I got a snow pick. <laughs> but on a serious note, I this is something I want to talk about because I post a lot of selfies, a lot of yeah. images of myself as well. And I have this like um seesaw opinion because I get sometimes I get really cringe and really embarrassed if I've yeah. posted something. Because I think, oh my god, is everyone going to think that I'm just like so self-involved? But then the other side, for me, it's a form as a form of like advocacy, and yeah. it's almost like rebelling to yeah. what people don't see. You know, people don't see people in wheelchairs having a shot. You know, yeah. like when yeah. have you ever seen that? Like people don't see it. So it's to me, it's almost like just doing what people don't expect. Yeah. Um, from your perspective society has always put people like yourself in a position of saying you're not good enough or you're you are the other or putting you in another box and saying you know we're here and you're there and so yeah. a lot of the stuff that you're posting the reason i love it and i make sure that i like absolutely everything that you post is because you know you are normalizing something that is i say normalizing it's normal for you it's normalizing it yeah. for us idiots who don't believe that that is the case or um, you know, it's it's showing people that it's also a learning part of it as well, because when you post, you will put things like, you know, it's a selfie, but it'll be a caption that says, you know what, it's okay to to ask me about X, Y, and Z, or, you know, approach me in this way or whatever. So it's almost a resource for a lot of us able-bodied individuals types of thing, right? Yeah. Um. So I do, and also from the other side of it is you're empowering a lot of people who are also in a similar position who maybe don't post on Instagram, but they don't post because they feel like, my post isn't as polished as this man or woman who's got six pack and is six foot two and, you know, bleach blonde hair and whatever. And, it, you know, I'm outside of the status quo, whereas Jem has, is getting a lot of attention. She looks like me. I can relate to a lot of the stuff that she's saying. And, it, you know, it empowers individuals to be themselves and to start pulling out. So, you know, you're, you're living a life that is uh, 
outside of that status quo of what people are used to seeing. And the more we see it on Instagram, the more able bodies individuals start to think, you know what, this I can speak to individuals like this and I can welcome. And I guarantee you somebody has seen a lot of your posts and has maybe reached out to somebody um, in a similar situation and said, you know what, do you want to go and do this? Do you want to do that? And approach them in a more respectable manner and with confidence as well. Mm. From my perspective, it's, um, I, as a firstborn immigrant, I think that I previously haven't done enough or taken social media as a tool, right? So previously it was more about, let me post because everybody else is doing and get that serotonin hit or whatever it may be, uh, endorphin hit, dopamine, whatever. Um, to get that kind of hit and to feel as if I'm being validated by individuals, right? And that was probably about right till about two years ago. Um, and then two years ago, I kind of started to think I could do more with this. Um, and it kicked into overdrive when the BLM thing happened this year, right? So this is where I, could, I couldn't open my social media without seeing a black person being shot or killed. And I thought, Jesus, man, this is so emotionally draining. And so I said, all these pictures of me taking tequilas, what is the point? What, what am I using this platform for? What am I using my voice for? What the heck is the point of what I'm doing? Now, then I went into, you know, there's a lot more educated individuals who can speak on, uh, you know, microaggressions and, you know, uh, the politics of being black and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the history, I can't call upon that. I'm not educated in that way. But what I can do is talk as the person that I am and show people who maybe aren't, haven't had, you know, the exposure to young black men as much to show them that this is, t this is what young, this is the difference between what you're showing on media about young black men versus who we are as individuals. Um, and I don't speak for all young black men, but it's an opportunity to just talk and go, you know what, this is actually what we like day to day. So hence why um, I started the, um, the Instagram lives, which is now then developed into a podcast in itself. Um, and so that is all just focused around talking about, you know, growing up being black in, a, uh, in, in the UK and the things that we've experienced. And, you know, but we don't sit there and say, you know, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Yeah, it is bad, but we're very much individuals who are quite, you know, this is bad, but this is how you can get through it. This is how we got through it. This is how, et cetera. Um, and so then that's what my social media is now kind of starting to become where it's an educational piece and an educational standpoint i'm yet to find my balance between what i want to say in a sense of you know what i want to speak about but i think at the moment it's just thierry marketing being a young black man and just growing up just being normal lad really um and just just talking about it now i, I don't see i don't see why I, I can't and so then yeah i just go ahead and do it that's amazing and um... It frustrates me, though, because, like, you know, that feeling that you had about, oh, I can't, what am I doing, posting, you know, tequila, whatever. But why shouldn't you? Like, and yeah. I know, and I get, I totally get that reaction. But that's the problems we've got in the world, is yeah. that things are going so wrong to do with inequality and anti-racism that you feel guilty for bloody posting yeah. a Maybe. tequila shot, and you're like, Yeah. That's frustrating for me, I think. Yeah. And I, 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 in totally different ways, I get that as well. But, you know, like sometimes I just want to talk about snacks. I don't want yeah. to talk about, like, you know, what, what someone said to yeah. me on bus the other day. So 
he's getting that balance in it of not becoming this advocate so much that you you you're constantly thinking about what you're saying am i educating people yeah you know. it does become pressure because it gets to a point where you're like because i did start looking at my posts like if i'm not going to post if i can't post anything of substance and then i won't post for like two months because i'm like i have nothing of substance to say <laughs> um so then yeah no you are completely right and that is where i think i'm starting to differentiate it now where um I've kind of sat down and said, what do I want to be across certain social media points? Like, what do I want to say? So for example, Twitter, I'll talk more about work because that's where I have a larger work community as well as uh, then Instagram is like my life as it was, like what's going on in my life, things that I think that are cool or what I'm up to. And then LinkedIn weirdly is a mashup of the two because mm. LinkedIn is almost where your friends meet professionally with your actual professional life. So then there I post things about, you know, life and work and I try to build a human personality because I feel like Instagram, LinkedIn is a bit of a robot at the moment. The way people talk, like it's all wins and like, oh my God, we have got this. And so then um, on there I go, yeah, yeah, you know what? We did sit, but we also, it took us, you know, I had to chop off my left arm to get here. (laughs) It was hard (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah, those different personalities, I just split them across there. But yeah, I will definitely be being... I just, I just need to stop caring really and thinking and overthinking about certain stuff and just, just do it. If it don't work, it don't work. Like, what is the worst that could happen? Look, imagine anyone who's regretting what they're posting on like MySpace now. Where, where is that? Or Bebo, even though Be- Bebo, Bebo, whatever, that's coming back. Um, I did want to touch on work before yes. we end because so you joined Rise at Seven, yeah, which has just completely erupted within the space of a year is it yeah just over yeah um and the digital media you know the marketing the pr to me it's such a white yeah privilege non-disabled straight everything everything that's not diverse world and when you know I like to gloat that I was the person yes, that you introduced you to Carrie Rose. Yeah, you, you basically set my career path. <laughs> basically, you know, I'm part of it. No, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm not. But to be honest, when, you know, you joined Rise at Seven, I was thinking, I really hope you don't become that person that I felt I have been in the past in other jobs you know, that everybody looks to to talk about diversity. So what, yeah, what's been your yeah. experience like? So, I mean, for context of the listeners, so like Rise at Seven is a creative SEO agency um, started by Carrie and Ken, right, in like June of 2019. Um, I was like the sixth or seventh person to join, which is insane because, um, you know, we went into the first lockdown in March with about 12 people and now we sit on about 60. So the growth has been like actually insane. Um, and at previous agencies that I've kind of worked with, um, sorry, I mean, the brands that we kind of work with at Rise, you know, we work with like Game, PlayStation, Pretty Little Thing, Misguided, Kath Kisten, Go Compare, You Switch, like we work with some of the biggest brands um, and it's super exciting in terms of the work that we do. Now, in the previous agencies I've like worked with and previous places I work with, it is very much, you know, the mantra that especially women and women of colour use in their industry is like stale, pale and male. Um, it really, really is um, that kind of industry. And 
you know, a lot of the times I think that people like me and you are very much, you know, people who take that upon their shoulders to muck in. And if we see an issue, it's to try and help with that, right? And we, we've always been that kind of person. We always kind of will be. And, you know, it, it seems a bit weird to put the problem on our shoulders. But in the places that I've kind of previously worked, it's very much been people hire people that look like them. And the people at the top, if they are, you know, of one type of race or one type of way, or one type of thinking, will inevitably then hire people who think like them and it kind of perpetuates the problem. So when I got the opportunity to, to join Rise and, you know, as I say, like sixth or seventh employee, when I had the catch of coffee with Carrie and Kenra, I said, look, I really want us to take this seriously. I want diversity to be a thing because I don't think we, our industry does it well. Um, and I want it to be something that, you know, is in my job spec. And so Karen Kenwright kind of went, yeah, we totally agree. And, you know, Carrie being our female CEO in a sense as well, it's something that she, you know, she takes um, really to heart. And Kenwright as well is the most, you know, inclusive person you'll ever see in your life. Like when he puts together panels and talks, he, he looks at his panels and says, look, do I have a diversity of appearance, a diversity of mind, you know, even neurological diversity as well. He thinks about those types of things and is very hot on it. And so. As we've built and scaled the agency, inevitably there are obviously times where, you know, we, want, we need to get people through the door. And so Karen and Kenra have literally put it into my work, into my job spec that I have a KPI against, you know, uh, the application and attraction of people from black and Asian minority ethnics and also from kind of a wide spectrum of uh, uh, abilities as well. So able-bodied, uh, accessibility, an accessibility standpoint, right? So what that means is that, you know, when we are recruiting for people, yes, we put on Twitter and LinkedIn, but we also engage with people like Be Digital, who uh, specify in uh, the recruitment of uh, black talent, right, to make sure that we're in, we're in with that. And then um, we have um, Armani as well. Uh, uh, she's the kind of woman of color within our industry, within um, Rise at Seven, and her passion is increasing the attention, the attraction, retention of, you know, women of color within her industry as well. So we get involved with things like um, uh, Women in Tech SEO, which is an initiative to highlight and to push forward women within our tech industry, as it's predominantly, as we say, you know, pale, stale and male. And so then, but then her focus is within women of color. Um, and so we, the difference between Rise at Seven and where I've been previously is that we've been empowered as employees to do what we can to increase our diversity and our, and our diverse footprint and it's backed by the owners of the company do you know what I mean so they are bought in from day one and I think that's what makes it different and so yeah as I kind of move forward and I start doing that kind of stuff like I you know people are like oh you do so many podcasts and you do so many this and you do so many that and it's like well the more I can get my brown face in front of as many people within my industry as possible, there'll be another brown face who looks and goes, oh my God, I didn't know brown faces could succeed there. And, you know, they might, they might think of it as an option because when I went to university and stuff, it was never a thing that we had talked about. Um, it was never an option that was given to us. You know, if you weren't a rapper or a football player or uh, or whatever, it just wasn't a, a career path that you were, you were given. And so, yeah, we very much started pushing um, that kind of thought within our industry and making sure it's something that is highlighted and we're not afraid to say it. And also, you know, if we find that we are disproportionately one way in our company, we don't, we're not, we don't hold our backs up against it. We don't go, oh, well, you know, we are doing all this. Yeah, that's fine. It's something we'll work on. Do you know what I mean? It's okay. 
<laughs> it's all right as long as you know it's something that we're working on and we're, we're trying to get better and and that very much is the case um and so yeah over the next couple of months we will be running quite a lot of initiatives especially from an uh, access perspective that you know um our work experience program is incredible so then my focus will be to bring more black and asian minority ethnics through the work placement program and you know interns and things like that and actively pull you know attract and retain um but yeah i don't mind it being on my shoulders Absolutely not, because, you know, it still sits on Carrie and Kenwright's shoulders as well. But unfortunately, Kenwright can't go to black men and say, hey, do you want to come join the company? The black guys are like, who are you? <laughs> so then he empowers me and gives me the budget and the access to go ahead and, and do that on, on behalf of his, for his company, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. And not amazing as in, you know, we're giving credit to white people, but just amazing that you you feel like you're doing something you know because you know, so many things we get invited to and everyone's like it's a really good opportunity and then it's just taking your energy and yeah. what have we got out of it so to anybody listening who feels like you know they need to do something would you say that's the key is to step aside almost yeah so like it depends at what level because i do believe that not all as i say like not all young black men like myself maybe want to take that burden on those shoulders mm. and that, that's absolutely fine you know it shouldn't be your problem to solve sometimes do you know what i mean so don't ever feel oh i'm not doing it no one else will do it then whatever else then it's more of a systemic problem in your workplace if you feel like no one else is going to do it yeah. um i do believe that you we should be bringing this stuff up in interviews so when you go for an interview and they say have you got any questions for us then you say, you know, uh, what's your what's your policy on diversity and uh, and accessibility and and that kind of stuff? And what what are you doing? And call them up on that. And most of the time, they'll be caught, you know, on the back foot. And blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it is a focus of ours. It is, and be like, all oh, right, cool. So, what kind of policies have you got in place? Boom, you've got them. You've got them by then. So it changes the narrative because I think when we are interviewing, we're we're trying to impress them. But you have to remember that you know you're going to make these people money, and you're going to be with them for years. So they have to impress you too. Um, so put your foot down and ask those types of questions. And, you know, if it's in a company that you already are in and you're kind of fatigued by chasing those types of stuff, then, you know, try and engage people outside of your industry. Maybe try to get involved in other specific groups that can kind of attract that talent. So, um, you know, whether it's women of color, whether it's women within tech SEO, whether it's black men in, 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 in tech or whatever that may be, try and engage with those groups as well, because, you might find an opportunity there in, in, in a, you know, in a company that maybe respects that a little bit more, or in a sense, you know, they might see you thriving in your industry and be like, oh, what is it like to work at yours? Or can I join or whatever else that may be and do it that way? Um, yeah, there's loads of avenues and it's hard. It's not meant to be easy because, you know, the way society has, has unraveled itself, it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. So don't feel like you have to do it if you you know if you feel fatigued but i think you should make sure that it is something on your radar when you do join another job for sure yeah yeah definitely and that's the whole point of this podcast really is that it's not you it's society people have first impressions of you and it's not your responsibility to change that perception i mean you can do if you want to yeah, it's a lot because, you know, you, you don't like I think as well, like we grew up in a society where, you know, 
people are like, yeah, you have to take action. You have to do it. No one else is going to get it for you. You have to. Do you know what? If you can't be bothered, just don't. Because there's different types of activism as well, we have to remember. So, you know, there are, from my perspective, from a Black perspective, like, you know, there are uh, Black people who are willing to be militant about it and be, and, you know, go on marches and camp out and things like that. Then there are Black people who are, you know, have that way of education that they can deal with it with litigation and setting laws and doing all that kind of stuff. And then there's me. All I do is I go on Instagram or I go on my podcast and talk about what it's like to be a young black man. Does any any of those efforts, is it greater than anyone else's? No, because we're all, you know, pushing for a little bit of a better tomorrow in our own corners. And that is absolutely fine. So don't ever think that you have to do it all. It's 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 too much for one person to have on their shoulders. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful way, I think to wrap that up Thierry thank you so much I feel like I hope you feel not too like after that no I love it it's a lot of energy it's a lot of energy because um you know being honest sometimes is um you know it's offloading it's removing that weight off your own shoulders as well and being like oh my god I've been wanting to say this for so long yeah. so it is quite empowering and it gives me energy as well so thank you so much for having me on Jen. thank you so much and there we have it thank you so much Thierry for joining me on my first ever episode of first impressions don't you just love him everyone isn't he great um yeah i'm so grateful to have him as a friend and i can't wait for you to listen to the next episode see you then